Hey, what's going on, everybody? How are you this evening? My name is Mariah Rose, and this is another episode of Out Loud and Unfiltered. I am super excited to have you guys join me tonight. I know it's been about a month and a half since the last time I uh, recorded an episode, but if you haven't learned by now about me, what you will come to know is that under no circumstances do I intend to uh, fill dead air with words that do nothing. In other words, the aim and the goal of this podcast is to empower, encourage, to uh, open up a dialogue, communication, bridge gaps. I am all for talking about things that um, are important, uh, that should be important, um, and that impact our day-to-day lives. Uh, You can definitely send me suggestions regarding uh, your ideas for subject matter, or if you have a comment related to anything that I am posting, uh, you can either hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Mariah's Thoughts. That's M as in Michael, O-R-I-Y-A-S-T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S, or um, at Mariah Rose on Facebook, and then also at Out Loud Movement on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you'd like to email me for now, you can do that um, at uh, author M as in Michael Rose, like the flower, at gmail.com. And I'm pretty good about giving about a 24-hour turnaround, if not sooner. So um, my whole goal is to come to an understanding, even if we disagree, that we can walk away knowing where, you know, we each come from, um, understanding how to deal with one another uh, based on what we've learned from our conversation, and then go from there. Um, So for like the last few weeks, I've been thinking on some things. The other thing that you will notice or learn about me if you've not done so already is there will always be some kind of biblical reference or context um, to the discussion that I'm having. At least I try to. Um, I don't know that I've been 100% successful, but as a child of God, as a Christian woman, uh, I just really believe that that is crucial and important uh, to impart some knowledge uh, based on the leading of God uh, regarding the stuff that I decide I want to talk to everyone about. So if you have decided to join this podcast and listen to me bump my gums for one hour, approximately an hour, I want to say thank you. I want to say I really appreciate you. And uh, I hope that you'll share this with your friends and family. The topic that I want to talk about today um, that just kind of, you know, has been on my mind for some time now is called Beyond the Declaration, Beyond the Declaration or Confession, more specifically. Um, And the reason I want to talk about this is because I have, you know, I'm an observer. I'm a watcher. I'm a listener. You know, I don't say a whole lot, but I see so much. And I've seen quite a bit over the last few weeks that has really kind of made my heart heavy. And it has really kind of given me, you know, a lot to think about, not from a judgmental perspective, as far as being on the outside, looking in and watching other people and their interactions, but also as an individual, my own walk, my own relationship with God, my own individual interactions with other people. Um, and yesterday, 
there was this kind of confirmation that came through the word of God that was preached at the church that I was uh, visiting and the pastor very loosely paraphrasing was talking about distinguishing um, the uh, what distinguishes us as individuals in the church from the world. Like, what is the difference, you know, you know, as a saint or a son or daughter of God, what separates us from a non-believer or from those who just simply refuse to live a life for Christ. And I've had this discussion several times in many different settings and with a number of different people from, you know, different walks of life. I And I've concluded several things, but the main conclusion that I've come to is that everyone wants to be right. Everybody wants to be right. Like there's no room for error. If I'm right, you're wrong. And if you're right, I'm wrong. Like there's no air, there's no room to breathe. And that is like, for me, in my opinion, the foundational problem with the church, especially now, everybody wants to be right. And, and we see this, to be honest with you, with the division and denominations, like somebody somewhere read something in the Bible that they did not like or that they disagreed with. Um, It wasn't necessarily a man-made tradition or a man-made rule of regulation. There was something in the word that they disagreed with. So then they decided to go and start another church that did not build its foundation on those things that they disagreed with or they didn't like. And so then you come up with I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am Baptist, I am Methodist, I am Catholic, I am this, I am that. And it does not matter what the word of God says anymore. Nobody's going to tell them any different because they're right. That's their story. They're sticking to it. I would be a hypocrite if I said I had never used the scripture to justify my actions or if I'd never overlooked the scripture that made me uncomfortable. And I don't care who you are. We've all done it. We have all picked apart the word of God in some way, form or fashion to the point where we're comfortable. We don't pay attention to the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. We don't pay attention to the stuff that that requires an adjustment or a change. We don't pay attention to the things that make us say, ouch, you know, or we've used those things to justify how we behave, to justify our actions or more to the point to try to control a a larger group of people. I find that we, that is the church, we're sitting in a, in a precarious spot. Like we're, we're teeter tottering in a dangerous place because there's this, this blurring of the lines between what is of God and what isn't. There's a a mixing of what passes for Christian behavior and what doesn't. And it's scary, like on a horror movie level kind of scary. It's really disturbing if you think about it and you break it down. And here's why. You have people who have been in church for 500 years (laughs) and nothing about them has changed in reference to the fruit that they bear to line up with what they're saying they are. In other words, I've been saved since I was knee high to a duck. I got baptized when I was two and a half years old, but I still run you down with my mouth if I think that I'm not supposed to like you or you got an opportunity that belonged to me that wasn't supposed to go to you. You know, you we 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 have 
We have it down. What passes for Christian behavior? We know to wear the long skirt dragging the floor and that red lipstick is for ladies of the night in quotations and, and not to wear open-toed shoes or color our hair or we know to address you know certain people in certain offices in certain churches a certain way or we know when to raise our hands during praise and worship or encourage the speaker to say preach on and say on and, and, and it is so uh, take your time. We get to to the place where we can quote a scripture to anybody who comes to us and asks us something, but there is no internal change. There is nothing that distinguishes us from the world in a way that if I didn't know anything about church or ministry or and I mean being laity or leadership, if I knew nothing about how church worked and I was approached by someone, how would I know what about them would cause me to say, I want to know more about this Jesus thing. And it has got to go deeper than I'm a Christian. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm prophet as such and such. Like, where is it that you know, this behavior is okay. And I, I don't mean to struggle with my words, but it, it is becoming increasingly frustrating um, because I see it. And the people who are professing and claiming to be these super powered Christian folk are part and parcel of the problem. Like I understand why the world is like, ow, ow, I don't need that. I'm good. That's okay. I'll pass. They see us fighting with one another. They see us not communicating with one another. They see us running one another down with our mouths, murdering each other with speech and, 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 you know, speaking ill of one another. And, and, or they see us trying to control and change them. And here's <laughs> a whole other level of hypocrisy. We will look at them, condemn them to hellfire because of what they choose to do or how they choose to live, i.e. fornication, adultery, all the big sins, right? But we don't address our little foxes, fix the things internally that God is calling us to fix or requiring us to fix. And they see these things like, I, I wonder if we really understand as a body how much the world is watching and how much We've allowed them to come into a space of not respect, but ridicule because of the foolery that we perpetuate. Let's just be honest. We perpetuate it. We're the ones with the man-made rules and regulations, knowing that a devil can sit up in church all day long with a long skirt on and not have a lick of intention on serving God. There are people who sit in churches with the sole purpose given to them to sow discord. And instead of us being spiritually minded enough to see that that's what they're doing, we play right into the hands of that person or the enemy or whatever you want to call it. And then it catches on like wildfire and it runs rampant. It just bothers me because we have the form, the formality, the tradition of religion. We got that down packed. We know exactly where to say amen and where to say hallelujah and where to say thank you, Jesus. But what is the difference between you or me 
And a non-believer or someone who has just said, I I know there is a God, but I'm good on that Jesus freak business because y'all be doing too much, you extra. To be honest with you, I tend to, you know, look at someone two or three times who says that something isn't a conviction for them. And it's not so much that it's a, a judgment. Generally speaking, people who use this argument They use it as a loophole to continue on with the behavior that isn't pleasing to God according to the word in the first place. So they don't need my judgment. They've already decided I'm going to do what I do. That's between me and God. Who are you to judge me? You don't get to tell me what to do. Like you are not the boss of me, right? Mind the business that pays you. But when you say something is not a conviction for you, and I, I, I guess I do get it in some instances, But when you say something is not a conviction for you, what does that mean? If it's in the word and God requires us to implement the changes that he requires us to implement, you know, in order to make our walk what it's supposed to be and reach the destiny that was already mapped out for us. When you look at me and I look at you, what makes us different? So if you say, you know, oh, I don't know, I'll use myself in, as an example, you know, uh, being a single woman, I know for a fact that there are folk out here in the body that are completely okay with fornication. They don't care. It's not a conviction for them. They're going to try it before they buy it because they need to see what they're working with. And nobody here, get this, nobody in the church is really preaching on it. Because they don't want to make people uncomfortable. They don't want to lose the tithes and the offerings. So it's just kind of people doing what they do. When I know good and well, the word says none of that, right? I'm the stick in the mud. I am the prude. I am whatever it is you want to call me because I have not fallen into this trap of dating the way the world says we are to date. Now, I don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody in. I certainly don't have a heaven or a hell, a a throne to sit on to to judge anyone. But I've heard time and time again, people say that, well, that's not a conviction for me. That doesn't make it wrong. I mean, right? That doesn't make me wrong. You know what I mean? And it doesn't make me super self-righteous because that's the word. There are other examples, other instances, you know, people who gossip. um, and, and, And here's the deal. The other foundational crack that we have in the church is we've given degrees to sin. We've given, you know, on a scale of one to 10, fornication is a two, homosexuality is an eight, lying is a one. You know, I mean, sin is sin. Let's call it what it is. So we go out into the world and when someone sins in such a way that makes us uncomfortable, Then we want to call them out, but we don't address our own. We don't fix our own. A lot of us have got the outward mastered and not the inward. And we use it's not a conviction as a loophole to continue doing the thing that we know is not pleasing to God because we don't want to change. And I totally understand that when someone's mind is made up, they're going to do what they want, when they want, how they want, the way they want. And I don't care how anointed any preacher is. I don't care how high the spirit is during a service. If their mind is made up. And I mean, since God is a gentleman, he's not going to force it. They're going to continue to do what they want to do. I would even go so far as to argue that a lack of conviction is directly correlated to a lack of relationship with God, especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit operating in one's life. And here's why. Some of the stuff that we continue to do, 
even after salvation, I mean, regardless of whether or not we're allowing the word to work in our lives, some of the things that we do and then turn around and say we're men and women of God. I I remember someone asking, would you take Jesus with you if you were going to do that? Would you do that? Would you say that? Would you behave that way in front of Jesus, in front of God? Many of us would not. And so then there's the argument. Well, Jesus sat with tax collectors, this and that. Yes, he did. He did not accost them. He did not cast them away. He went in and sat with them to be relatable. He went in and talked to them, but he never allowed them to change him. And what we're seeing with this blurring of the lines, with this mixing of the world and the church is that the world is kind of starting to change the church to the point where the church looks like the world and nobody in the world has any inkling of an idea or a reason or an indication that anything is wrong and that they need to change. We've watered the word down to rub up people's feelings to the point that we don't want to offend and we don't want to anger. When we do preach the word, the way that we're supposed to preach it to our own, that is to the church folks, to the people who know better, to the people who know the word. Many times we're told that word wasn't for me because I'm not convicted by it. Like that's okay. <laughs> like I, I don't know, guys. I'm struggling with it to some degree because I get that God deals with us on different levels at different times. And I understand that He can only ask us to change the things about ourselves that are not pleasing to him. And it's in an effort to make us better, not just in the natural, but also in the spirit to make us vessels of honor. What I don't understand is why we never change. So think about it in terms of a natural relationship. And in that natural relationship, between husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever, you constantly see this thing, this blemish, this spot, this ugly thing in your partner that you all have discussed many times. You've sat down, you've talked about it, you've cried about it. You've said, look, when you do or say this, it hurts me. Please don't hurt me anymore. Please stop breaking my heart whatever the case may be. And that person continues to do it. You start feeling some kind of way to the point where you end up breaking up with them, filing for a divorce, you know, separation, whatever the case may be. You sever ties in some instances, you know, that's what we do in the natural. But God doesn't do that to us. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force us. How can we be so you know, free and open to break his heart to and, and, and continue to do. And here's the thing, just because you feel like it's not a conviction for you doesn't mean that God isn't dealing with you about it. It just means that it's not a priority to you to fix, in my humble opinion. I believe there to be a direct correlation between a lack of conviction And the lack of relationship with God. Because when you're in love with someone, you go out of your way. You break your neck to do what you know pleases them. And somebody might say, well, that's the 
rose-colored glasses version of relationship. But in the spirit, if we say we belong to him and we say we have fellowship and relationship with him, why? Why is it that we refuse to look like him, act like him, speak like him? And I'm not saying that we're supposed to walk around with our heads in the third heaven, 24-7, speaking in tongues, proclaiming the joy of the Lord, doing this and that, praying, fasting and open and all of that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there should be a difference other than you saying, other than me saying that I'm a woman of God. And I don't have a title. So there's that. (laughs) Like, I'm not a pastor or anything like that. And you have people who are pastors that will not let one second go by. Let me tell you something. (laughs) If I were not saved and I knew nothing about church and offices and titles and things like that, and the first thing someone says to me is, hello, how are you? I'm prophetess so-and-so and such and such. I'm gonna look at her or prophet so-and-so and such and such. I'm gonna look at him like, and what does that mean to me? I crack up. I mean, literally chuckle in my spirit when someone who does not know me decides that the first thing they're going to lead with is their title at a church like that matters. Don't get me wrong. I take away nothing from whatever mantle God has given an individual in terms of what they're called to do in ministry and in the church. I take away nothing from the weight. No, I, there's no disrespect intended because I, I mean, honestly, I know how to address these folks, but when you lead with that, I have to, give you a second or third look. And I have to wonder if that's what you're about. The clout and the accolades that come with your title. Cause you don't know me. You know what I'm saying? You don't know anything about me or what I know or don't know. So why would you lead with that? I know pastors who don't, Hey, my name is Joe so-and-so and such and such. And all they want you to know is that God loves you. Now, they might give you a card that has their title on it. You might never know what their title is unless you go visit their church. But their aim is to show you the love of Christ. And at some point through dialogue and discussion, you learn that they are, you know, Christian. And there's something about them that you want. But it's not a tangible thing that you want. It's just something you can't quite put your finger on. That's what we have to get back to. Again, in my opinion, in the church in general, we got to get back to that. We have to get back to that because we cannot win the way that we're supposed to win doing what we're doing. It's not working. It's absolutely not working. The thing of it is, is that there there should be a difference. We really, we, we really shouldn't look like sound like, walk like, and talk like the world does. I mean, what motivation do they have to come into the church and change? And can you blame them? I can't. I can't blame them. And this is what had me thinking even about my own walk. So like I've said several times before already, I don't have a title. I'm not an official anybody in anybody's church. So all I have is my declaration and my confession and my belief in God. And that I am a daughter of the most high God. What is it about me without me saying that, that the world can see that might influence them or encourage them to seek out Jesus Christ? I had to apply that to myself. And the reason I had to apply that to myself is because if we take individual accountability for our walk 
the church would be so much stronger. The church would be so much better. There would be no finger pointing. And and, and there would be nobody running around here thinking they know more than the next person. These goody two shoes. These people who are so prideful. Even in the kingdom. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. So I had to look at myself. And I believe if we go back to that. And like the little girl. I think on TikTok or YouTube said. You worry about yourself. If we if we worried about ourselves. That's like literally half the battle. Because if we calm down long enough. To focus on our little foxes. If we calm down enough. And, and and slowed down and tuned out all of the noise and just listened to the still, small, quiet, powerful voice of God. And we began to make those changes internally for ourselves that he's direct. The same changes we run around here talking about aren't convictions. The church would be so much better. And when I say the church would be so much better, oh my God, the church would be so much better. We might win more souls from Sunday to Sunday. And I know that the end game is that we will ultimately win the overall battle. But guys, we're losing some wars that we don't have to lose. This this blurring or mixing the things that I hear. It all flies in the face of scriptures that are in the word. Like first Peter one and 16, be ye holy for I am holy. Or first Thessalonians four and four. That we're supposed to possess our own vessels in sanctification and in honor. If everything in the word that you do that you're not supposed to do, I'm sorry, is not a conviction to you. How are you possessing your vessel in sanctification and in honor? How am I being holy because God is holy if I can excuse or loophole my way out of what the word says to continue doing what I want to do. I remember having a conversation. This was maybe a year or so ago, maybe two years. And um, I had some honest, genuine questions about this individual and this lifestyle that he was describing to me that he had. Because he had prefaced a statement to me before we entered into this discussion. You know, I'm a man of God. And I'll be honest for you to you, you know, honest with you uh, personally, when anyone prefaces a statement to me with I am a man or a woman of God, I'm instantly looking for fruit to back up what you say from a natural perspective. I'm from St. Louis. The motto in Missouri is show me it's the show me state. I don't believe in accidents. I'm always looking at what you do versus what you say and whether or not they add up, whether or not they're equal. So this individual has said, you know, I'm a man of God. And I began to ask him questions about certain things that he had mentioned in his life and how he justified, you know, this behavior, how he reconciled it with his relationship with God and his response to me time after time after time was, well, you know, God forgives. Well, God forgives. We're not perfect. And I've heard it so many different times. We all fall. We've all fallen short, this, that, and the other, right? And we have. He's not wrong. 
He wasn't lying. God does forgive. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We sin daily, sometimes so many times in the day, and we don't even realize we're doing it. I get it. I know it. I'm walking this walk. I understand it. But at what point (laughs) do we recognize that and do the work to change some of the things that we know aren't pleasing to God? I mean, the Bible does say in Genesis 6 and 3 that God will not always strive with man. And then there's Romans 6 and 1 where we we see, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like in other words, are we to, to take God's grace and mercy for granted to the point where we feel like we can live any kind of way? And because he is a loving, forgiving, patient, forbearing God, get away with it? Like, I don't want to take that gamble. I got to answer for the way I live my life as it is. (laughs) I mean, I didn't get saved until I was 24. And I know that I have made some mistakes since then. I have done some crazy stuff. I have been disobedient. I have been roguish. And I mean, I, I mean, I have been rebellious. I have not listened to wise counsel. I've done all of those things. And I have to give an account for that stuff. Am I supposed to continue? Because the thing of it is, is when you do a thing over and over and over again, it's not an accident. It's a choice. And many times we in the body, we choose a certain direction because it's comfortable. It's what we want to do. And nobody's going to tell us even anything different. Not even God. That's how you can do certain things and say it's not a conviction to me. And it's not that God hasn't dealt with you about it. I mean, if you say God ain't dealt with you about it, okay, fine. But I know that anything that God has dealt with me about, I have tried to address. Have I gotten it right the first time or the second time? No, but I've done my best to address those things and not continue to do them Um, to the point where, yeah, maybe I have gone out of my way to avoid certain situations that put me in a position to have to, you know, be faced with it again. Like, for example, I know that there are certain places that I cannot go. If I know that the environment is going to be, it's almost like in the natural, when you think about people who go to AA meetings, whether it's for drugs or alcohol, the first thing they tell them outside of acknowledging that you have a problem and that you're an addict is to stay away from familiar circles. If you're a recovering alcoholic who is one week out of rehab, you don't go to a party where there's an abundance of alcohol and people drinking. When you get out of rehab and you're one month clean from cocaine or or heroin, you don't go back to the familiar circles where you know you still have friends, at least you're not supposed to, where you still have friends who are doing drugs. So these people have to make a choice. They have to make a decision for their safety, for their mental and physical health, for their emotional well-being to sever time with some of the familiar circles because they know that if they don't and they go back into those things, they're going to fall into it again. So if they can do it on a natural level, how much more should we be able to do it on a spiritual level? If you know that, you know, you got a wandering eye, you might not want to be around your single homeboys or homegirls because you know that you'll slip right into that behavior if you're not strong in that area. If you know that, you know, you, you, you like, 
I don't know. I, I hope that this is reaching somebody. Like, why would you put yourself in those positions to have to fight with the old man that we know never goes anywhere? When all you got to do is avoid those situations. See, the thing of it is, is we want our cake and eat it too as saints. I'm just saying. We want to be able to do what we want to be able to do. The way we want, when we want, however we want. But we still want the benefits of being king's kids. Never mind that there are consequences. Or we think we are above reproach and there won't be consequences. And just because you haven't seen you know, consequences to your actions don't mean those consequences. It doesn't mean that those consequences aren't coming. And so then I have to say, well, so you telling me you're going to do what you do and we just going to see how it shake out in the end. I'm so confused by that. Again, what I'm getting is getting at is, is what distinguishes you and me from the world? Beyond our confession of faith, beyond the number of years that we've been in church, beyond our titles, beyond what we're wearing, beyond the hemolytics, beyond, you know, knowing when to insert an amen in the middle of a service, beyond knowing when to schedule a revival, beyond a prayer call or a prayer meeting or a shut-in. What distinguishes us from the world outside of having church open seven days a week? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it's necessary to be inside of church seven days a week. There's always a service from Sunday to Sunday and every day in between. And nobody's changing and the ministry's not growing and the kingdom is not growing. What is the purpose of having church open for seven days a week? And you still got devils sitting in the front pew talking about get out my seat. I sit there every week. Like, I don't understand. Outreach. When we talk about outreach, how do you reach somebody that you're condemning to hellfire? You going to hell. Nobody wants to come. You, <laughs> nobody wants to come into church and that's all you got to say. Especially when they come in the church and they see <laughs> that something is not right. You might not be doing what they're doing, but you're doing something that ain't God. And it's crazy because the world knows. They know. They be watching. They're watching and they're waiting so that when they see you slip up, they can say, "Mm, you just cussed me clean out. Ain't you supposed to be a Christian? And what does that do? Nine times out of ten, it tick you off even further because you like, who you talking to? I know I'm a child of God. Are you acting like one? Are you demonstrating to me? Because because (laughs) the world know how to push our buttons. So I'm just saying. It's like, okay, you had an opportunity to demonstrate to me that you were a child of God, to take the high road. And then here's the thing that just came to me. We get, I ain't delivered from that yet. (laughs) And I'm laughing because that's another loophole that we use to justify ungodly behavior. No, I haven't always taken a high road. And when I tell you this has been sitting on me and I've been on sensory overload for weeks now because it's been sitting on me, I'm not joking. Like I had to laugh because I was like, ooh, I've said that before. I ain't been delivered from that yet. Well, when you going to get delivered? When are you going to ask God to help you with that and then operate in the help that he's giving you? Because that's a loophole. That is an excuse to continue ungodly behavior. 
It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I don't know. You know, I think about the titles and the offices and the 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 structure and the 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 way we operate in tradition and religion. And I think people forget that no matter who you are, God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't have favorites. Saul lost the kingdom. God doesn't have favorites. He allowed David's child with Bathsheba to die because of what he did with Uriah. There are consequences for all of our actions. He doesn't have favorites. And at the end of the day, a lack of relationship will inevitably lead you straight to where you say you're not going. I'm trying to figure out where in the word does it say that your seat is guaranteed? Where in the word does it say that once you say, I believe in God, that that's all you have to say? Because I would argue that you can have a belief in God and not have a relationship with him. There are so many good upstanding citizens that won't make heaven their home because they have no relationship with God, like no relationship. And how can you say or how can I say that I have relationship with God and I've done none of the work to build that relationship? It's a surface level knowledge. I know of him, but I do not know him. Because if I knew him, I wouldn't say or do some of the things that I say and do. Because I'd care about how that would affect him. I'd care about what that did to his heart. I would care that that the only time I went to him was when I needed something. But when whenever he asked me to do something, oh, I can't do that. That's not a conviction. I'm not getting ready to give that up. God, sorry, we all fall short. God forgives. That's not a conviction for me. I, you know, if it's a conviction for you, you do what you do. But it, it, that, it doesn't affect me that way. Does that make the word wrong? Just because you disagree with it doesn't make it wrong. And we want to be right. We want to be right. No matter what the word itself says, what we think our desire to have our cake and eat it too tends to trump what the word of God says. And anybody, anybody that calls you out about it, calls me out about it. We ready to spit nails. We ready to go toe to toe. You can catch these hands. You don't want this smoke. Yada, 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 yada. Stop it. Stop it. I don't believe that we're supposed to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week walking around, preaching, speaking in tongues. And I know for a fact for myself, I am not spiritually minded all the time, every waking moment of every day. But why is there less and less of a difference between us, the church, and them, the world? To the point that we look exactly the same. We're not fraternal. We're identical twins. And the ones who are actually trying to navigate this life the way God says we're called 
everything but a child of God. We're holy rollers. We're the holier than thou. My personal favorite, we're sticks in the mud. I've been called a stick in the mud so many times, even in the last six months. It's ridiculous. Beyond the man-made rules and regulations, beyond the long skirts, the traditions, the formality, the form, the hypocrisy that is religion, what what makes us different? And the killing part is that the minute you call attention to it, you get your rights read to you. Your rights are read to you and you get called everything. And it starts with us. In the church, guys, it does. It starts with us. You and I, we we acknowledged the call of God and we answered. And maybe some of us didn't adequately or appropriately count the cost of the call that we were answering. Maybe we saw a T.D. Jakes or a Juanita Bynum or some somebody like that up preaching and we decided that We wanted the glitz and the glamour of what it looked like to be in front of thousands and thousands of people. Maybe we saw a Joyce Myers or Rod Stewart and we decided that we wanted to 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 enjoy the perks and the benefits of being in front of a congregation and having their ear and being able to influence a multitude of people. But we still didn't count the personal cost of answering that call. And while you haven't turned your back and said, I want to go back to the world, you're in church, you're in ministry, and you're working. You're working as if you can earn a spot in heaven. You're working as if you are owed a spot or you deserve a spot. I am in ministry working, you know, like It's guaranteed that I'm going to make heaven my home. And the sad part is many of us in ministry, in church, many of us that have our hands to the plow, working, 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 but haven't done the work to develop relationship, we're going to miss it. And that should be frightening. That should be, you know, something that shakes us to the point where God has our attention To the point where we have decided that we're going to reestablish the line in the sand that was drawn before the beginning of time. There should be a desire to change. There should be a desire. I have never seen a bunch of folk swear up and down that there are peculiar people, but they look exactly like the ones they're trying to condemn to hellfire. I don't understand it. It makes no sense. You've done nothing different except change your out, outer appearance. You're still hateful. You're still mean. You're still talking about folk. You're still doing everything under the sun, not just the breaking the, the main Ten Commandments. I'll say the commandments of God are from Genesis to Revelation. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what the word says. And we dismiss everything that makes us uncomfortable as a lack of conviction or we 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 um we justify it with God is a forgiving God. He's a loving God. That's in the sea of forgetfulness. Never mind the fact that we will have consequences to the point where if we don't get it right and reestablish which side of the fence you're on, stop straddling the fence. 
if we don't reestablish the line that he drew in the sand, we run the risk of missing it. And what a sad day that's going to be, guys. The change. It starts with us. We have to do better. And it doesn't start with us demanding that the world changes. You can't. Because I mean, if I were still in the world, I'd be like, so you want to be the pot or the kettle? Because we both black right now. Do you want to be the pot or the kettle? The hypocrisy in the church is like, I don't even want to say unprecedented because in these last days that we're in, and if you don't think we're in the last days, something ain't right with you. But in these last days that we're in, the the hypocrisy that I'm seeing and hearing, the, the things that I'm feeling, it is mind boggling. I don't care how much of the word you know. I don't. You can know the Bible from front to back. Every scripture, every single chapter and verse, the devil knows the word too. So there's that. What makes you different from the world? What distinguishes you? What causes you? You know, what what would cause someone in the world to look at you and say, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about salvation. I want to know more about God. What about you says, I don't care if I fit in, that I don't fit in. I don't care. I was meant to actually stick out like a sore thumb. And I'm not talking about the Bible thumpers, the 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 ones that say you're not dressed right. You don't look right. You're not supposed to say it like that. This is, I'm not talking about the formality of religion. What about you says, I have relationship with God. Because to be quite honest with you, if the world feels like they can do in front of you what they do in front of everybody else and they're uber super comfortable and they don't care because they don't necessarily offend you. I have to look a little harder to some degree, I think, in my opinion. And I'm okay with being a stick in the mud. I'm okay with being dubbed a holy roller. I'm not perfect. I don't cross every T. I don't dot every I. I am pretty sure I've had some moments where I have overridden um, the direction of the Holy Spirit and I have had to pay for those actions in one form or another. You know, there's always going to be consequences where that's concerned. But I'm okay with being different, with looking different. I don't want to look anything like the world. And I want people to come into contact with me because I believe also as a church, we make the mistake of making these grand sweeping declarations and confessions and looking down our noses at people as if we are better than them. No, such were some of you. That's the word. So you're not better than anyone else. And if God would leave 99 to go get one, That ought to tell you everything that you need to know about what it takes to win a soul because he he cares and he loves us and he wants us to to inherit heaven. That's the goal. That's the prize making heaven our home. But he'll go get the one, the one that decided I don't want nothing to do with this Jesus thing. And he will pursue that one until that one comes back. He is the reason there can be a prodigal son that returned because half of us would have been like, "Mm -mm, you can't come back here. When if he did us the way that we do folks in the world, we would be crushed. We would be hurt. 
We would be distraught, destroyed, you name it. That would be us. So I have to say that even as the church, even as I'm sitting here and I'm saying what makes us different from the world, what makes us like Christ other than our confession, other than what comes out of our mouth, other than us declaring that we're men and women of God, what makes us like Christ? And everybody is in different stages of their walk. You know, everybody's on different levels. Everybody has taken a a different degree of difficulty regarding their tests and their trials and their tribulations. We all have experiences that make us unique on this journey. Nobody's journey looks exactly the same, but we're able to encourage one another along the way when we do have some intersecting points and we've dealt with some common situations that other people have dealt with. But what is it that makes you look like Christ? What makes me look like my daddy? What what personality traits do I have that are of the father that someone would see? Maybe if we ask the question that way and you, you know, you go about the business of listing these characteristics and these attributes on paper, being 100 percent honest with yourself. What characteristics do you have that replicate the love and, and the, the, the personality if, if you want to use that word of Jesus Christ, of God, what, what do you have? Are you quick to forgive? Are you slow to wrath? Are you, are you loving? Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Like, do you say that, you know, when you say that you love your brother, do you really, really mean that? Do you believe in turning the other cheek? You know, all of these things. What makes you a Christian other than you saying, I'm a Christian? (laughs) I sit and I think about and I have been thinking about this as it relates to my walk. And I've, I've taken note of some areas where I can do better. I said that before earlier. That if we go back to the foundation of our individual journeys and we begin to address those things that affect us one-on-one with God, you don't have to have a board meeting with your friends about it unless you need it. You don't necessarily have to go to uh, a pastor about it. Half of y'all not listening to your pastors anyway. So there's that. But <laughs> you just one-on-one, God, what about me do I need to fix? And if he gave you a list of all of those things, many times we already know about them, but if he gave you a list of all of those things, would you get angry Or would you say, yay, God, and go about the business of fixing them? One way or the other, beyond the declaration, beyond the confession of who you are in God. Because many times we think we somewhere where we're really not. And sometimes God lets you think that until you bust your head up against the wall and you be like, oh, let me humble my little cell phone down and let me go back to the drawing board like Wiley Coyote and figure out how to do this the right way. But when we level with ourselves one-on-one with God, without all of the outer influences, and we ask, ask that question, 
God, what about me makes me look like you? What am I doing? What am I not doing? What should I be doing? When we take individual accountability of ourselves in relation to our walk with God, I guarantee we will begin to see opportunities for growth. We'll get revelation about what needs changing. And we will actually begin to look like what we're declaring and confessing that we are. And that line can be reestablished in the sand. The line was supposed to be there for a reason. And yes, it's going to cost. It's going to cost some relationships. It's going to cost some friendships. It's going to cause you to look at people differently. It's going to cause you to look at yourself differently. If you've not had an opportunity to reflect or learn about you in the process of your walk with God, I would question whether or not you're really walking with God. And that's just real talk. That's the honest to goodness truth about how I feel about relationship with God. These come to Jesus moments, it's not a cliche, it's real. When you have a come to Jesus moment, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to immediately address the change and over a process of time, you will change or you're going to get angry and you're going to throw that under the, well, I'm not convicted by that. It doesn't bother me and, or, uh, you know, well, God is a forgiving God and you're going to go on about your business. And that ladies and gentlemen is the mark of somebody who is immature in Christ. And I don't give a flying flip what your title is. I don't care because if you cannot take God's feedback and apply it to your life in a way that facilitates change, how can you say you have relationship? Man, how can you say you have relationship if the man or the woman that you love is saying, this hurts me. This breaks my heart when you say or do this and you keep doing it. Maybe you say you're sorry. Maybe you don't, (laughs) but you keep doing it. And I'm sorry, but If I'm continuing to say I'm sorry and I keep doing it, eventually I'm going to stop saying I'm sorry because I'm going to assume that you know that my sorry doesn't mean anything. So why bother saying sorry? I just, I don't understand. And these last few weeks, I have had to look really hard at myself and my walk and my, my declaration. Like I discovered over the last couple of months that I can be quite judgmental. Oh my goodness. And God was like, stop it. Will you stop? Stop judging people. And I didn't realize that I was doing it. So some of it becomes like second nature to us. Some of it becomes so easy to us that we don't even realize we're doing it. And God is so merciful and gracious enough that if you ask him, I guarantee you, he'll tell you, he'll point it out to you. So what are you going to do with the information he gives you? How are you going to go about handling it? You know, some of us, we go to church Sunday, Wednesday. We're at the fish fries on Friday and Saturday. And we leave each of those opportunities to have an encounter with God the exact same way that we went in. And then we go out into the world. We judge the world for what they're doing. And we look just like them. Oh, my God. If that is not hypocrisy personified. (coughs) We get to looking. Eyes get shifty. Who passed the talking about this week? What if he talking?
talking about you. <laughs> Why you got to be talking about somebody else? Just because it's not a conviction for you doesn't mean it doesn't go against the word of God. It doesn't make the word of God wrong. And we have to get out of that. We have to get back to a, a reverence of the word, regardless of, of what we feel and we think. And we have to get back to valuing our relationship with God. That's the only thing that gives any credibility or weight to what we declare and confess we are, who we declare and confess we belong to. A failure to do that calls into question why we even associate ourselves with the church. I mean, to be honest with you, if you're going to go to hell, go first class, go do what you're going to do. Don't dress it up and say, I'm a saint, I'm a Christian, and you've not changed anything internally. You've just put on a nice dress or a nice suit and you have a title now. So to end everything... Tonight, I hope I didn't step on toes, but if I did, I'm glad because maybe that will facilitate productive discussion. And maybe that'll encourage someone to go to God individually and say, what can I do to change? What makes me look like you? What about my activities? What about my behavior? What about the way that I carry myself? What about the way that I think hurts your heart? And how can I never do that again? So that we can become better saints and ultimately reestablish the line in the sand that puts us on the side of God. If we can, if we claim to be sons and daughters of the most high God, there should be a difference, not just in the way that we look, but in the way that we behave, the way that we carry ourselves and the way that we think. And when there is no difference, there no when there is no discernible difference and we can't tell what that is. I think we should be worried. I think we should be scared. I think we, I think that we should go back to the drawing board and seek the face of the Lord. So with that being said, I hope something I said resonated with my listeners tonight. I am most appreciative of you. Um, I hope that you'll continue to listen to my episodes and, you know, share them with your friends and family. I'm not sure if I'll be back next Monday or not. We'll see what the Lord says. We'll see what comes up and what I end up having to kind of chew on and and dissect. Um, But thank you. Thank you very much for your attention. And thank you for tuning into this episode of Out Loud and Unfiltered. And until next time, my name is Mariah Rose. You all be blessed. Bye bye.